How does a college football star with NFL potential make a pivot into a career as a dedicated acute care pediatric nurse? Let's talk all about it with nurse superstar Roosevelt Davis right here in episode 314 of the Nurse Keith Show. Hey there, this is Nurse Keith. In these days of the COVID-19 pandemic, I'm still bringing you my monthly pandemic updates at the end of every month. Meanwhile, this podcast continues to be all about you, your personal and professional development, your nursing and healthcare career, and the healthcare system as a whole. And I'm here to share education, ideas, diatribes, and informative interviews like today's with some of the most inspiring people from the worlds of healthcare, nursing, medicine, and beyond. I love having you along for the ride, whether you're new to the show or you've been on this journey with me for months or maybe even years. Thanks for being part of the Nurse Keith Nation. And remember that Nurse Keith Coaching is your one-stop shop for everything related to your nursing and healthcare career. So shoot me an email at keith at nursekeith.com so we can have a chat. And you can also get 10% off your first coaching package if you mention the show. And the show notes for this episode will be at nursekeith.com forward slash the word episode and the number 314. So today we're joined by friend of the pod, Roosevelt Davis. He and I met back when I interviewed him for a special um, edition of Working Nurse Magazine of Southern California. And Roosevelt, I really appreciate you being here. And the first question I want to ask you is, why did you make a choice to switch from football to nursing? Like, how did that pivot happen for you? (laughs) Well, it was a huge transition, and I like to say that it wasn't my choice. The choice was made for me. I believe that nursing chose me. (laughs) And also, yes, of course, Mm -hmm. I also didn't make the choice, but um, it was a point in my life to where I realized that football is not going to last forever. And I realized that, you know what, hey, if this doesn't work out, then I definitely, definitely see myself in a position to where that I can help others along with helping myself. And so I believe that helping others is uh, something that's organic to me and that makes me uh, uh, drive to be a better person and and do things um, to help the world in life. And so I want to put myself in that position, um, outside of football. And, um, I guess I'd say, uh, I had a lot of influence from my family, um, around that time. And it was Mm. towards the middle of my college career where I had some injuries going on. Um, concussions were actually a big thing around that time. Um, and, I don't know if you know that movie, um, it's called Concussion with Will Smith in it. Um, and that was, I did a huge project on concussions. That was my first project in nursing school. Uh, <laughs> and, yeah. wow. and it involved, um, uh, actually, uh, featured my trainer in the concussion uh, from football. So it was, it was, it was a funny transition, um, and it all worked out, but, um, just, there was a lot of influence from my family, injuries, and I'd say also um, my coach. He was a great inspiration on uh, not just football, but life as a whole and wanting us as student athletes to become 
a whole person, not just a football person or not just a sports driven person. And so I really thought about that after I'd say when I got hurt a couple times and my brother, um, he had uh, gotten hurt, which ended his, I'd say changed his career drastically to where um, he had to start looking at other things because his physical nature wasn't the same after he got hurt. And that that really bothered me. And so he was a football player too. Yes. At UCLA with me. Oh, with you. Mm -hmm. Okay. He was younger than me. Wow. So those are a lot of influences that caused you to make that pivot. And you were, you were a all-star football player in high school and then you were at UCLA playing football and you did a degree in political science, right? A BA in mm-hmm. political science. And so during the time when you were, you were playing football, whether in high school or college, I know you did political science, but was there this underlying interest in medicine or healthcare? And didn't you have a nurse or two in your family too as well? Yes. Um, my mother, she works um, uh, in the medical field, but on the political side, <laughs> the law side. Mm. So it's very interesting. Oh, I see. And I, get, I guess that's how I got into political science. Um, but my grandmother, she's also a very, very, um, very awesome nurse um, in Tennessee. And my aunt and also my stepmother are also nurses and are in the uh, healthcare profession, Um, including my dad. He had some history in um, healthcare during his college years. And so those were a lot of influences on my decision to get into healthcare. Another thing is I saw, I did a couple internships, business internships and telemarketing and office jobs and financial jobs. And they're actually pretty cool, but just didn't feel passionate about it. And that's what bugged me mm-hmm. the most. Most, And I felt like if I'm going to do something the rest of my life, I want to do something worthwhile and that I'm going to put my all into and that I can really love what I'm doing. And that's when I had those conversations with uh, my family members and they were able to say, hey, check this out. Why don't you go on YouTube, go to this um, nursing uh, um, conference and meetings Mm -hmm. and see if you like it. And I was against it at first um, going to those things like I don't need to go. You know, I don't I don't know. But once I went, I was like, wow. I can really see myself uh, being in a position to learn about science and also help people and learn about the human body and how it works and how I can help make it better. (laughs) Right, right. Now, obviously, as an athlete your whole life, you've obviously always been into fitness, you know, and and there's there's that real physicality to to athleticism and sports, right? You're using your body, you're learning how to make it stronger and more agile and be the best athlete you could possibly be. So can I make the assumption, or I am making an assumption that that interest in fitness and like and how the body actually functions, I'm assuming there's like a translation into nursing and medicine and pathophys, mm-hmm. right? Yes, absolutely. A hundred percent. Yes. Um actually uh, in the weight room, we have uh, trainers um, who always drive in these 
um, I'd say, um, concepts of how you should eat great and how uh, working out and doing this lifting um, regimen will benefit your body and benefit you on the field and off the field. So it 100% translated into the studies that I started doing um, for nursing. And it was just awesome to see how it correlated together uh, once I started studying, especially doing my prerequisites. Um, I was actually still in football while I did my prerequisites. And um, I was in my, don't quote me on this. I want to say that my last, last, my fifth year, my fourth year going into my fifth year when I started my prerequisites. And um, I started noticing how the things that my trainers and all the things that I knew about my body from fitness and football started to translate into the things I was studying. So I was like, oh, this is awesome. And I enjoyed studying those things. That's great. So it wasn't as hard of a pivot as maybe someone might think, because you think like sports to nursing seems like it's going from one complete opposite end of the world to the other, but there are parallels. And you told me some stories about how when you first started nursing school, like when you first sat down in that first class, you had some fears about coming in from a sports background because a lot of nursing students come from other backgrounds aside from sports. So what was it like to be that, you know, the football player coming into the nursing department? Oh. How did it feel and what was it like interacting with the other people? Uh, it was scary. Um <laughs> Number one is it was definitely different for me, um, a different um, environment. Um, and just to speak on kind of the first part of what you said, the parallels is that uh, it's just, just applying that drive and dedication that you have in sports to uh, the nursing, to studying and to uh, organizing your time um, was some things that I, a lot of things that I took from uh, football and applied it to nursing. And so I think that was things that definitely helped and um but going into that first day of class I, yes i remember walking in and i think i had on a, a ucla football hoodie and i of course was the only one with one and i was quiet i was very quiet i was to myself and and i was like man uh lord help me <laughs> and <laughs> and uh, and i you know i just wanted to to just just do whatever, just listen. My, my main focus was to listen and, and try to soak in everything I can. And, um, once they started, you know, teaching and started to, to welcome everybody in, I realized that, you know, I'm not so different than others. And even though people are from different walks of life, we're all in here for a common goal and we are to become nurses and to help mm -hmm. to learn the science and the facts and the things to help people get better every day. And so when I started to realize that and others start to introduce themselves to me and really started to be excited at the fact that I was uh, uh, one of the few athletes in that, in that class. And I believe there was a, another track runner, uh, a former track runner in that class. And we were able to connect and and um, just meeting those people and those awesome people that I'm still friends with today, very close to, I still talk to today, um, was was very um, comforting, 
comforting. That's and nice. Even though it was scary at first, it's just it takes time and uh, just being open minded. And I think I came in with an open minded mindset instead of a closed minded one that, oh, I'm I'm not going to be accepted um, was helpful for sure. Yeah. And, and, it, and it sounds like you were open minded and it sounds like your your fellow students were open minded. They were like they thought it was really cool that you were a football player studying nursing. So it wasn't wasn't like they were like, oh, man, you know, why? What is this athlete doing here? Right. So they found it interesting. Yeah. And I remember you told me the story when we were doing the interview for Working Nurse Magazine that when you did the presentation about concussions, you brought something really special to the table, having had a number of concussions (laughs) as a football player and the other nursing students hadn't had that experience. So you brought something pretty specific to that conversation, I think. Yes, uh, for sure. Um, I think the one thing that they noticed was that, um, and that I noticed was that for us to our cohort to get through nursing school, we have to work together and group Mm -hmm. projects along with um, homework and everything. We have to work, even though you work individually to get your grade, um, you work with each other uh, to help each other uh, pass as a cohort as a whole, especially on group projects. And that first group project was on concussions and turned out that I had had plenty of them. (laughs) And during that time, um, there was that, uh, that movie that came out with Will Smith and a lot of different protocols going on with um, football. And so I was able to translate that into uh, class and my colleagues were very, very um, open and, and, and happy to hear from someone who actually is or has been through um, these things that are detrimental, can be detrimental to your health. Luckily, I'm Absolutely. my uh, health is still intact. My brain is still intact and I'm not have any, having any uh, concussion issues <laughs> mm-hmm. at, at this moment or at that time. And so, yeah. It was pretty cool. I mean, you and I have you and I've spoken several times, and I've never detected any cognitive deficit. <laughs> so you seem to be just fine. You always pass the mini mental exam. <laughs> you know, you're you're cool. So you know, I can you can rest assured from my perspective, you seem incredibly cognitively intact. Thank you. So, uh, <laughs> but I just wanted to add that um, it was also pretty yeah. cool. Um, they were so open to me even adding some of my football uh, former personnel into the project, um, which was my trainer. And um, he was very open to it and he was happy to help. He's like, oh, this is awesome. And, um, you know, he just gave his uh, small perspective on on concussions and it just it just worked out. That's great. Now, if we just rewind a little bit, I meant to ask this question first, but we'll go backwards in time. When you were on the football team and you decided to take the prereqs and you realized you were going to go to nursing school, I remember you just shared that you were fearful of sitting down in the nursing class for the first time with these students and see if you would be accepted. Now, what did your fellow football players say when you told them you wanted to be a nurse? And were you afraid of telling them your plans? Well, I definitely kept it to myself for a certain amount of time. I wouldn't say for a long time and until mm-hmm. some of my really close buddies were wondering um, why I had to uh, leave the locker room so fast. They wanted to hang out. And I was like, 
I have to go study, um, you know, and questions started kind of coming up, you know, wow, bro, you've been really busy lately. And, and you know, I just, I just, one day I just said, you know what, hey man, I'm in nursing school. And um, I just think that, that, um, you know, if, if this doesn't work out, that this is, might be the right thing for me. And it was actually one of the best things that I've done because um, I did not know how anybody was going to react. Um, and it was awesome because one of my counselors, he was very, very supportive of me. And he was actually one of the driving forces towards me going to nursing school because hmm. I think that there's a stereotype about football players that we only go do certain subjects, the easy subjects or the easy classes, just so that we can make sure we have good grades. And I think um, that's an honest opinion um, to state. And I wanted to be different from that. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to prove that I can be different from that. And my counselor was also very supportive. And he would never, never said, you know, what? I don't think this is too hard. He said, you know what, if you want to do it, I support you 100%. These are the things that you need to do to stay on that course so also my i had another uh football player um, um buddy of mine who was interested in the sciences and going the healthcare route as well so i wasn't on it alone i was able to talk to him we were able to kind of the piggyback off each other like hey how's school going or how are your prerequisites going and um that was very very nice i'm not sure um if he follow that path all the way through, but um, it was nice during that time to have that support from your fellow uh, football players that you're with every day, yeah. all day. Um, they they loved yeah. it. They were actually saying that, wow, that is very inspiring, Roosevelt, for you to be um, going to uh, nursing school and doing rigorous uh, uh, schoolwork to make your life better just in case football doesn't work out. And it's, it's, it's awesome wow. to know that they a lot of them felt inspired and, and motivated me even more to continue what I was doing. Wow. So you had support from your fellow football players. You got support from your college counselor. You got support from your family members. You got support from your fellow nursing students once you started nursing school. So it sounds like when you decided to make this choice, it was sort of green light after green light after green light. Yes. Right? Yes. Yes. A hundred percent. I don't think I can recall a time where anybody said, no, you shouldn't do it. I remember a lot of times, a lot of people were like, are you sure this is not going to be easy <laughs> for sure? <laughs> but um, mm-hmm. definitely um, always supportive um, just because I think that um, my drive on the football field and in the weight room and everything, uh, a lot of people knew that, um, as long as you can set your mind to it and, and apply that same drive and, and motivation and and that support that comes behind it is very, very important, I want to say. you know, I think that that made a big mm-hmm. difference um, for me too because I couldn't imagine doing all that without support from any one of those groups. And I think that if I didn't, it could have made things a little bit more difficult for sure. Absolutely. Now, speaking of drive and ambition and, you know, like, wanting to create a great life for yourself. Has this kind of philosophy always been part of who you are? Did it start in high school or was it something that's developed in recent years as an adult? You know, how did you formulate this like very positive, optimistic life outlook? Definitely came from um, before college for sure. And I'd say, Mm -hmm. um, 
came from my family and from back home. Um, I always, ever since I'd say Pop Warner and high school, um, I always had this driving ambition because I always was told uh, back in the day that I probably couldn't do that or you can't make that happen. And I always, because of my size, I was smaller than the majority of football players that were in front of me. Um, And um, during that time, also, I was told in school that um, I wasn't smart enough and um, football wasn't big enough. And so I think that's where a lot of my drive and ambition came from uh, back Mm -hmm. in early high school days and um, middle school days on the football and off the football field. And my um, family was always, always supportive and like, no, yes, you can. Yes, you can. And mm-hmm. my dad always told me that there is no such thing as I can't. And so well, that was huge for me. And once I embraced that and took what the neck took what the negatives that people tried to put on me and turned it into a positive and to a driving force to make things better for myself and to feed off that energy, I think that mm-hmm. that just became a part of who I am. Wow. That's awesome. And, you know, having a father who tells you there's no such thing as can't and having the rest of your family behind you and people telling you, you can do what you want to do and be what you want to be. I mean, that's an amazing message for a kid to get. And when we come back from the break, I want to talk about the kids you work with because you're in a CVICU at Children's Hospital Orange County. So I want to talk about the kids and what it's like working with the kids and also your experience as a African-American man, as a male nurse, just as a man in the nursing profession and some other stuff. So, so we'll be right back with the second half of the episode. So now we're going to take a pause for the cause for just a moment. Please consider becoming a patron of The Nurse Keith Show, just like other awesome listeners who value the show so much that they want to give just a little bit each month to support the work we're doing here. When you pledge, you not only get the satisfaction of helping produce and support The Nurse Keith Show, you also get some pretty cool premiums and gifts from yours truly. Just head over to patreon.com forward slash nurse Keith to read all about it. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash nurse Keith. And if you know someone who could benefit from career coaching with me, please consider referring them. And if they become a paying client, you'll receive credit for an hour of coaching with me. And there's no expiration date on that credit. So you can keep it in your back pocket until you need it most. And remember that you can refer as many people as you like and continue to earn those coaching credits. What an incredible deal. And please head over to nursekeith.com and sign up for my newsletter, which comes out regularly and brings you supportive messages, updates from my blog and my podcast, resources, and all sorts of other stuff. Remember, nursekeith.com, sign up for that newsletter, and you'll also get a free download from me as my gift to you. Anyway, those are my sincere asks today. So now let's dig back into today's topic without further ado. And welcome back to the second half of episode 314 of the Nurse Keith Show. Remember the show notes will be at nursekeith.com forward slash the word episode and the number 314. And we're here with Roosevelt Davis, 
superstar nurse at Children's Hospital Orange County and former football star. And Roosevelt, we were just talking about mindset and the messages that were fed to you by your father and your family about how, you know, you can do what you want to do and be what you want to be and you can succeed. And, you know, you got fed some pretty positive messages. And now you're a CVICU nurse at Children's Hospital Orange County. And you're working with kids of all ages up until their early 20s, I believe, right? And so what is it like bringing that kind of philosophy, like the way you look at life and look at health, um, what is it like bringing that to the floor as a nurse and, you know, looking at these kids who are sick and trying to support them? Well, it's definitely at first sight, um, it's having that sense of compassion because um, number one, it's, I definitely see the family as a whole. A lot of times um, the kids are in there with their parents. And so um, it's almost like you have your, uh, the kids, the patients, and then you also have the parents that you have to um, have compassion and understanding for as well. So um, seeing sick kids, I don't think anybody ever wants to see a sick kid. <laughs> um, it's, you know, you have that feeling in your, in your inside. And, um, yeah, I think that understanding, um, the studies and the sciences behind, um, why this is happening. And my focus always was trying to figure out why this is happening. And if I didn't know, we also had the team of, of charge nurse, nurses and other nurses, senior nurses and uh, doctors who are awesome at chalk and who always explain things to me and when I don't have the answers because I don't always have the answers. And I think that's what I was scared of at first it, going in was not always having the answers, but you can thing was you can always find the answer. And that was a big thing for me and going into there with kids and kids are so resilient kids they they it's so amazing when you discharge a kid in their family and they're so happy to go home and so happy to go home and play with toys and then you also see and it's also very humbling at the fact that some like holidays and stuff like some kids are spending christmas in the hospital and they're not feeling well and you know when you're working on that day it makes you humble with the fact that you know wow these kids might be in here for a little while and are here on holidays and you have other people that are at home behind the fireplace, but these kids are here in the hospital and with you. And so that really humbles right. uh, me, I say almost every day, especially at times like that, because I realized that after work, I get to go home and some of these kids um, uh, don't go home for a while. Um, and yeah. so it's, they don't clock out at the end of the shift. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, so they're there taking yeah. those, those hours that I do have in the hospital and doing as best as I can for their care uh, is very important to me. And um, I think it's just amazing just seeing, I love seeing kids go home and be happy to go home and then they get to go home. And it's, it's very nice to see that they can go back home, mm -hmm. play with their toys and do whatever, you know, they want to do with their families. And I think that's, that's the best. Yeah, that's lovely. And, you know, compassion's so important. And you mentioned treating the whole family because, you know, it's a scary time to have a kid in the hospital. And 
I think when from our last conversation, this is CVICU. Yes. So you've got kids with congenital heart defects, right? Correct. Who come in for multiple surgeries. Mm -hmm. And then what else do you see in a CVICU on pediatric? Well, you see, you can see a multitude of things. Um, yes, we kind of fo we focus on kids with congenital heart diseases, um, heart defects after they're born. Um, sometimes you have kids who um, come in with, uh, it depends on their age group as well, um, with um, heart heart problems like arrhythmias or even, even uh, suspected MIs as well. And um, wow. respiratory issues as well. We have kids that have, uh, some, some have trachs, some have, uh, need to have chest tubes after procedures or for, for whatever reason. Um, sometimes you even have kids who have open hearts. Um, uh, we call it, a. uh, uh O open chest. I'm sorry, open heart, mm -hmm. open chest to open be chest. specific yeah. and caring for a kid with an open chest that's in front of you. And, um, wow. those are probably the most intense cases. Those are, I wouldn't say those are every day. <laughs> um, but, yeah. um, they're also kids on ECMO, um, machines that, um, definitely pump your, uh, the blood through your body and work your lungs at the same time for you. Um, pretty critical, uh, kids. And you also have kids who are, you know, um, coming in for cath procedures, um, and come in during, the, uh, one day and they out the next day, which is pretty awesome. Mm -hmm. Diagnostic tests, um, to look at your heart and see if there's anything going on, if there's it needs to be any procedure. So I see there, you see a kind of a multitude of things. And uh, I think that's the, one of the most interesting thing. And also in the CVICU, you work, we're really close to our PICU patient pick you uh, population. And so as oftentimes we get um, our pick you population. So it kind of intertwines sometimes and um, it's great to be able to work with um, a multitude of different uh, types of uh, uh, patients with different issues um, aside sure. from cardiac just cardiac defects, yeah. but our focus is yes, cardiac um, issues. <laughs> so it sounds, it sounds pretty clinically complicated. You've got some, some are not quite co so complicated. They're in for a cath and they're out the next day, mm -hmm. but it sounds like some of them, they get some pretty intense stuff going on. Mm -hmm. And what do you do when you're faced with a child? Let's say they're pretty young, mm -hmm. you know, school age, right? Six, seven, eight years old, maybe four or five, mm -hmm. and they're in pain, mm -hmm. right? So what do you as a nurse do during the course of your shift to kind of like lift that kid up? What do you do to, to buoy their spirits in those really tough times? Well, you're right. School-age kids definitely, um, first is trying to figure out where is this pain coming from? And okay. it's, where's the source coming from? And, and once you kind of try to, if you, even if I can't figure out exactly where it's coming from, just kind of getting a general idea, trying to figure out, multiple different ways of how to alleviate this pain. Um, even if there's, um, we have iPads, we have toys, uh, we have all mm -hmm. types of different things, as well as the medications that we have um, that we're able to administer during that time to help the kid without um, making the kid you know, feel worse. We want, it, we, want, we want the patient to feel better so that the less pain that the patient has the better their outcome is 
for the other issues that are going on because their heart rate was, will be better. Their blood pressure mm-hmm. uh, will be better, uh, hopefully. And uh, yeah, managing that right. pain is actually very, very important. And so there's no one answer to manage the pain. It's kind of clustering the care and trying to figure out, hey, where, where is this pain coming from? Is it psychological? Is it physiological? Um, can I uh, uh, help this pain with iPads and toys and distraction right. and or yeah. massages or or something like that? Or does it have Making to be? Making them laugh or yeah, something. Yeah. Or does it have to be? Yeah. Um, uh, medications to help with this pain. So there's not one answer, but um, definitely sure. trying to discover what that answer is. And a lot of times we do find that answer. And um, when mm-hmm. I do find that answer and alleviate that pain and that patient is resting and relaxing and happy or playing on the iPad or, or we're just watching TV or talking to mom and dad and just hanging out or talking to you. And I, I love interacting with uh uh, with kids, they're just so awesome because they speak their mind. Yeah, right. They speak their mind. Yeah. They do not hold back. <laughs> and it's amazing right. how brilliant most of these, uh, a, a, a lot of these kids are, and how um, how resilient they are. It's 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 it's. I I, I love walking out with a smile um, after you know while the kids you know not in pain, just kind of you know in, enjoying their care and eating and stuff like that, and talking to their parents just. It's pretty awesome, and sometimes even uh, religious um, uh, plays religion plays a role. Mm-hmm. And you know, some some parents and um, patients uh, they pray together, and mm-hmm. and um, I think that's very awesome. And whatever it may be to help manage that patient's uh, care, and 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 it also it's all like a it's no one answer to one patient. Right. I think that's what makes nursing so. Um, so interesting is that there's never really one answer, you know? And it sounds like all of this comes from your heart. Like it's this desire to have them feel better, a desire to have them go home as quickly as they can to alleviate their suffering and the suffering of the family. And speaking of family, so, you know, coming from a football background, you're used to a team. So, you have your teammates who are part of their nursing staff and the rest of the staff, all the other multidisciplinary people who are in and out all the time. Mm. And then the patient and their parents are part of this team as well. And during the pandemic, (laughs) these past almost 11 months now, 10, 11 months, we're recording this in January. Um, how has it been in terms of allowing family members into the CBICU to be with these kids? Well, it's not easy because um, I believe that we can only have um, one pa- one parent um, at a time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm sure that it's hard on some of the parents that want that both want to be there with their child. And, you know, of course, knowing that your child is in a hospital is never easy. Um, so I think that it's taking time to where uh, uh, parents have to adjust, um, especially during a time like this, this pandemic and wear masks in the hospital and go with the hospital protocols that have been put in place because of this pandemic. And it hasn't made it easy for um, the parents or the patients. And also, it also kind of affects us at times because um, we have to explain, you know, why 
both of the parents can't be in there. You know, a, a parent never wants to hear you can you cannot come into the hospital to see your kid because right. um, we only allow one parent to come in <laughs> at a time. Yeah. It's Christmas Day. We both want to be there with our son. Right. And they're like, well, I'm sorry, you can't. Right. And that must really hurt. That must be really hard to have to be the bearer of bad news. Yes, like yes. But we, yeah. the thing is um, adjusting and um, sometimes I, I, uh, FaceTime calls or calls um, from the parents on the phone and and um, things like that are, are things that we have adjusted to to, to help um, uh, alleviate that you know, um, yeah. I'd say wariness with the families and the patients and, and, and just try to adjust, you know, it's, it's, it's difficult. Mm-hmm. This pandemic has not made it easy for anybody, um, inside the know. hospital, outside the hospital. Um, so it's just all adjustment, honestly. Yeah. Sure. And have you had kids with COVID in your unit? Uh, yes, yes. We've had, I, I've some. cared for, we had some in my unit. Um, I've cared for, uh, we've, there's oftentimes to where a nurse may float to other units and, um, I've yeah. cared for a, a few kids with COVID and things like that. So every, every kids or every patient is different. Um, okay. whether they have COVID you or haven't not. Been, right. But you haven't been overrun with COVID like the adult ICUs. No, I believe that the adult, uh, population is a little bit different than the uh, children's population. Um, there has been Absolutely. waves um, where there has been, um, I know that some units have been pretty busy with COVID patients um, opposed to others. Um, so uh, no no day is the same and um, it changes. Um, this pandemic is, is a wave as well. So Isn't it? Um, yeah. I'd say I personally have not, well, there has been a couple shifts to where I have been very, very tired, <laughs> and and there, um, you know, I had a COVID pa- a couple <laughs> COVID patients who were very, very busy. But um, it, it, during those times, I don't really look at that. It's just more about hey, mm-hmm. my focus is trying to take care of this patient and, and staying as safe as possible as well um, with you know yeah. the proper gear that we have, and that's really the focus, and um, that's what I like to focus on because you know at the end of the day. Whether it's a, a a COVID patient or a, a non-COVID patient with that's about to go home the next day, um, you can be just as tired. It just depends on what's going on that night. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, switching gears a little bit, you know, the pandemic has taken a lot out of all of us, and it's 2020 was a pretty rough year. You and I are recording this on the 19th of January. Yesterday was the celebration of Martin Luther King's birthday, January 18th. Tomorrow, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are being inaugurated. Kamala Harris, the first woman and first woman of color to hold such a high office, which I think a lot of us are super, super excited about. So, Also, during this past year in 2020, we had the Black Lives Matter protests, George Floyd, Breonna Taylor. There's been a lot going on. So how, uh, just as an African-American man, you know, how has this impacted you in general? Like, where, where is your head at as a healthcare provider, as a man, as a citizen? Just... What's going on for you as we transition into this new administration and looking at this year ahead of us? What's on your mind? Well, I think that um, definitely was a a year that had brought a lot of awareness 
towards towards everybody and mm-hmm. me as an african american um it was interesting to me to see how there either was no no awareness on certain levels and and, and with certain with with a lot of people um it was just interesting to see how um a lot of history that has happened in the past um have gone unrecognized or seemed like it has been forgotten and it's like these things still happen and with 2020 and the black lives matter movement and um all that that had happened it was very interesting and it showed how there's different sides of the world that have different point of views and i as african-american understand that um it's not always easy being African-American and even being an African-American football player or Mm -hmm. African-American nurse or African-American citizen. um, It's not easy. And the reason why is because um, just of the past history behind it, we are stereotypes in a lot of different ways and it's unfortunate and even um, my personal experience um when i was at ucla in college and i was pursuing my nursing degree uh right after football you know i get pulled over and uh and it's interesting because it was not just a white cop it was a black and a white cop and i have was clearly harassed Mm -hmm. and they threatened to tow my car why because this is what I was told. I ran a yellow light and it was, well, I ran a red light, but I was, it was clearly a yellow light on a left turn signal <laughs> and I had my signal on everything. But for that, they were going to tow your car. For that, right. they, so wanted, they put me in the back. Overreaction. They yeah. put me in the back of the car, handcuffed me. And I was just saying, hey, I'm just going to school, back to school right now. Um, and they, they said I was a gang member um, because I had on a red hat. And I said, I don't even have a, uh, I'm not a gang member. I play football and I'm in nursing school. I go to UCLA. I'm just trying to get back to school. They're yeah. like, well, this is a nice car. I want to, you know, you know, we can tow your car and you can keep it. And I'm like, uh, I just kind of was silent. Like, you know, I just want to go home. <laughs> and I don't, yeah. I didn't, I don't, I didn't say much. I don't like to argue. I don't like to fight. I just kind of just, you know, uh, God's going to get me out of this situation. And so I've experienced things and that was clearly, if I didn't look that way, mm-hmm. then I probably, probably would not have been treated that way. Absolutely not. And yeah, it sucks because you never know what another person is thinking. Mm-hmm. I'm very optimistic. I always think that um, give people the benefit of the doubt. Okay. And, but there, it just brings awareness to me. I just think that the movement and uh, a lot of these things, people should be aware that there are differences in this world. And that sure. is okay that there's differences. Yeah. But I believe that the awareness behind it is important. And just the education of the history of Black lives and other lives, minorities, and, um, you know, even Asian Pacific mm-hmm. and, 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 you know, Latinx every life. community, everybody, yes. Native Americans. Yes. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. It's like as a black man walking down the street, wearing a hoodie with a phone in your, in your hand, you're seen as a threat. 
and or you're a black man in a hoodie driving a nice car. So there's something wrong with this picture. <laughs> right. And but here you are at the same time saving children's lives, yeah. taking care of children. You could be taking care of a child who is from a family connected to that police officer or mm -hmm. who lives in that police officer's neighborhood. Mm -hmm. So like you said, there's there's a lot of stories here and people's lives are not monoliths and we can't look at one group of people in one specific way just because that's right. how we've been taught to see them. But we know that that's what's going on. And, you know, just to get a little political for a second, you know, on January 6th, when we had the attack on the Capitol, one of my first thoughts and one of many people's first thoughts was, well, if these were all Black people attacking the Capitol, what would have happened? Right. And it does make one stop and think, doesn't it? Yes, a hundred percent, and it's it's it 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 wasn't all black people, and but if it you know if it was, I think that things would might would have been different just because of the history behind um, black lives and um, authority, and so mm -hmm. I believe that um, it's hard to believe that things would not have been different and. I believe that a lot of people do feel that way. Some people still may feel differently and that's okay. But sure. just the awareness and yeah. the education that these things have happened differently and things have, and I want to say one thing is that um, as far as, if, let's say uh, uh, there has been, I'm sure many of instances about others that are not black that have ha been harassed or have been treated unfairly. Um, mm -hmm. So, it's not just black people, but mm -hmm. the awareness I feel like needs to be there that these things have happened and tend to have happened more to minorities and black and people of color. Happen. And continue, yeah, and continue to happen. To Correct. Happen. And also as far yeah. as working in the hospital, um, I believe that it would not be fair if I was to deem my care on someone who is of a different race or color. That wouldn't mm -hmm. be fair to you, to, to the patient, to their family, and also would be doing me a disservice as a nurse to the nursing community. And so I'm glad that I am aware of all these things, these political things and things that are, are out there um, and just educated, but it will never take away from my nursing care and from the care that I have for human beings and people that are in the hospital and outside the hospital. The love, I Good believe, always has yeah. should be there and that hopefully it would be nice that, um, that um more people will be more educated and aware of the things that are happening around them and not just turn the other way. Like, Oh, this isn't happening. Like things do happen. And so I think that's important. Thank you. Thanks for that insight from your perspective. And as we wind down, I just wanted to, to kind of piggyback on that a little bit. So it's, it's apparent to me and to, to many people that among, especially the African-American community and other communities of color, there can be a certain mistrust of the medical system. And for good reason, you know, we can go way back to the Tuskegee um, syphilis experiment that was done on, on African-American men without their knowledge. There's things going on now where we don't have the same level of care given to communities of color as more wealthy and whiter communities. Mm -hmm. And now we have this issue of the, the vaccine, 
the COVID-19 vaccines. Mm -hmm. And there is a certain understandable mistrust in the medical system. So from your perspective, how do we bridge that gap here in the 21st century and try to turn that just a little bit and increase trust and increase the trustworthiness of the scientific and medical community? What do we do? Yeah, and that's <clears throat> that gap is actually probably a, a very difficult gap to bridge. I believe yeah. that the gateway to bridging that gap is education. And okay. through education, that will help others realize what really is going on with this vaccine. Um, and also, it is hard because there has been, there is history of uh, uh, like the Tuskegee trials and, and stuff like that, yeah. that can deter one from saying, oh, I'm not taking a vaccine or I'm not taking this. And that's totally understandable. But I believe that even though like things have happened, uh, being educated on how a vaccine works and how this vaccine works and how it came about and how it was created and, and what that it would do to you, the, the statistics and the side effects and, and the benefits over the risk of uh, uh, the vaccine and um, different medical treatments is the, probably the most important thing. And the reason why is because I actually have to um, I don't have to, but I do um, talk to a lot of people about uh, the vaccine currently because that's a hot topic right now. And I, it is indeed. Yeah, people yeah. ask me a lot of questions because I am in the medical field, and so I'm actually happy to um, send out resources and educate people on the facts and um, the research that we do have. And it's currently it's an ongoing um, research right now. Sure. And the benefits of the risk, and it's interesting that. Um, most of the people that I have talked to, they they thank me and they're happy to know that. They're like, wow, I did not know that. Wow, I did not know that. Wow, I didn't understand that. But now I do. Uh -huh. And actually, I'd say about half of them that I, I'm not here to persuade anybody. I just want people to be educated, whether you get it or not. Sure. And yeah. Um, have some people have said have learned and educated themselves? I'm going to look into that more, and then have gotten the vaccine, then uh, as soon as possible. Or I think I'm going to get it. And some still like, hey, I'm not too sure, but I'm glad that I know what this is and what's going on, mm -hmm. and now I can better try to uh, weigh out that risk benefit and understand those things. And so my thing is, education is, I think a huge part of that bridge, uh, bridging that gap. And I think as a, as a young, um, well-educated professional black man, who's a nurse and a healthcare professional, you can speak to people within black and brown communities and say, Hey, you know, I'm trusting this. I'm part of the system mm -hmm. and I see the system from the inside and you can just give them your, your educated, opinion and give them information. So it's great that you can represent in that way and bring that information to them and be a, a trustworthy voice within a world where there's a lot of understandable mistrust right? and where people of color have been very mistreated. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm sure for you too, being in Southern California, you know, we have LA, we have San Diego, you know, 
we can see how the public hospitals that serve large communities of color don't have the um, resources that the hospitals in the other neighborhoods have. And I'm sure that's not easy for you to see. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and that's, that is difficult to, to see. And, and I wish that <laughs> I was um, wealthy enough to give uh, as much money or whatever it is as possible so that everybody had those resources and so that those hospitals right. and so that those communities did have those um, the same resources and, 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 and whatever it is um, so that they can uh, uh, boost their um, health in, in those mm-hmm. communities because it's important. And I believe that those, a lot of those communities and those uh, places um, it's easier to spread diseases. It's easier to um, get sick because you don't have those resources and you don't have uh, uh, certain care that is needed for certain diseases. And a lot of it does come from, unfortunately, like money and 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 things like that. And and that's something that I I personally can't control. Um, mm-hmm. And I wish I could. <laughs> Yeah. But you can control the way you speak to people, yes. the way you educate people, how mm-hmm. you represent the the medical community yeah. and the the African American community, yes. and you try to bridge those gaps. Absolutely, and, you know, you have a really inspiring story coming from the family you come from, and you know, coming from being an athlete, moving into medicine, and finding the way to to combine those two passions and interests of yours into a really amazing life and a really amazing career. And, and I'm going to have a link in the show notes to the, uh, the interview we did for Working Nurse Magazine. And so people can learn more about you. And it's just, it's a great story. And I have no doubt, you know, you're going to do some amazing things. You have a long career ahead of you. And, and thanks for being a leader and being someone who's out there, speaking and talking to the public and representing, you know, nursing and just being part of this, being part of the, the movement yeah. to, to bring more compassion and more love to the space. So thank you so much. And this has really been wonderful. I'm so glad we got to have this conversation. Me too. Me too, Keith. And I really, 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 really appreciate you for having me today and being able to just, you know, come on here and and, and you take your time with me and to just have a good organic conversation. And, um, you know, I really, really appreciate you. Thank you. Thanks, Roosevelt. Well, there you have it. Thanks for listening to this awesome episode of the Nurse Keith Show with Roosevelt Davis. And remember, you can learn about him at nursekeith.com forward slash episode 314. And remember, the Nurse Keith Show is a member of Ars Longa Media. We're a collaborative network of podcasts and media entities, and we're dedicated to professional education and partnering to improve social ills. We're at Ars Longa. A-R-S-L-O-N-G-A dot media. The Nurse Keith Show is also a proud member of the Health Podcast Network. We're one of the largest and fastest growing collections of authoritative, high quality podcasts out there on the internet. Find us at healthpodcastnetwork.com along with podcasts from the Mayo Clinic, Penn Nursing, Dr. Sanjay Gupta, and many, many more. The Nurse Keith Show is adroitly produced by Rob Johnston of 520R Podcasting, and Mark Cappiespeason is our stalwart social media ringmaster. Be well, dig deep, seek joy, keep in touch. This is Nurse Keith saying adios from Chile, 
Santa Fe, New Mexico, and my friend Roosevelt Davis saying adieu from Orange County, California. Orange County, California. Thank you, Roosevelt. Thanks for everyone for listening. And we will catch you on the flip side. 